Hello everyone, welcome to the Airbnb Road podcast with myself, Dermot, as always, and Paco. Hello everyone. So you've joined us on a very pleasant sunny Monday night here in Valencia, and we're going to do a quick roundup of some of the most important stories from the last week in Europe and beyond, and talk a little bit about them. So, without further ado, ado let's get into it. Paco, we have a new president of the Council of the European Union. Yes, so uh, from the 1st of January actually started the uh, Portuguese six-month presidency. Uh, which is a really good occasion for all the progressive. Uh, well, the pre Portuguese president Antonio Costa Pinto is renowned as one of the most progressive politicians in Europe. And he became famous uh, uh, during the uh, recovery fund negotiations because he had some harsh uh, debates uh, with the, the uh, Dutch prime minister. And the rest of the frugal four. Exactly, so the, the frugals <laughs> should have a sound effect for the frugals. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, but so um, he, he starts the, his presidency and he presented a new document, uh, a declaration of intent, which is uh, really progressive. I read you just a brief passage which says The presidency will aim at strengthening Europe's resilience and people's confidence in the European social model by promoting a union based on the common values of solidarity, convergence, and cohesion. So basically, a, a strong uh, declaration like the social Europe is going to be his main point. He presented this document for macro areas where he talked also uh, about a green Europe, a digital Europe, but again social Europe is going to be his main uh, one, so like uh, promote uh, social inclusion, uh, cohesion, and I think it's a really uh, really good occasion and once again and really some values that we, as a real world we really uh, share and we hope to see in the European Union. Yeah, it's a, it's a big opportunity for, well, for Europe as a whole, particularly for groups like ourselves, people who have the same ideals as we do, a chance to move forward towards a more, a more social Europe across the board. Uh, it's not going to be plain sailing. There are certainly a couple of issues that Pinto needs to address. First and foremost, of course, will be the COVID response. He has to coordinate 27 res national responses to a pandemic, which so far have been extremely fragmented. Some countries are doing this, other countries are doing that. Sweden are doing their own thing. Yeah. And probably the most thorny issue for him to deal with, it will be migration. Because as we saw last year, we've got the new Pact on Migration and Asylum. The European Union countries have committed to further cooperation with regard to the distribution of migrants. They've committed to better security at the external borders, faster processing time at the borders, to come up with a much better returns policy. But this is still an issue that divides Europe. You've got the border nations, the border member states, who, let's be honest, are, are bearing the brunt of the, of the incoming migrants. They're seeing all the pressure at borders. They're the ones dealing with the issue face to face. Whereas it's much easier for the northern countries, the western countries in Europe to say, oh, well, we'll take this many migrants, but not that many. It's time for those, those kind of arguments need to stop. Everyone needs to do their part. Everyone needs to share the responsibility, share the, the number of migrants they're taking and just generally act as a union as opposed to 27 individual member states. That this brings back to the uh, problems, continuing problems between the Commission making some proposals which are actually quite uh, interesting, quite, uh, uh, quite, uh, uh, how do you say, what's the really English word? Uh, or ambitious, mm -hmm. quite ambitious. And then having single country or part of the country is actually opposing these. Um, this proposal, so this I think is an issue we need to solve once for all, like uh, sooner or later we need to find a sort of mechanism mm -hmm. 
where like it can't be that only few countries oppose uh, an issue. Maybe the new the new pact should be that mechanism. Let's see if people follow through with what they agreed to. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. All right, <coughs> moving on, Paco. Yeah, take, take us to Italy and tell us <laughs> what the hell is going on. Yeah. Uh, so, as many friends <laughs> ask me in this, during this day, because actually from outside it's really difficult to understand, uh, and actually also from the inside, if I have to be fair. Uh, so, in the middle of a pandemic, we have time for a, a government crisis. Uh, basically, the contrast is between the former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, who are famous, uh, became more famous for his good English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shock! Shock! Exactly. And uh, uh, the actual, pri- the current Prime Minister, uh, Antonio Conte. Uh, in fact, the two guys never liked each other. Uh, people say that Renzi is envious of the uh, sort of popularity mm-hmm. of uh, Conte. Uh, who is not the you know, Inter manager? Yeah, exactly. But well, we won't talk about Inter tonight. Or Paco got upset. Let's <laughs> not talk about yes. <laughs> what happened yesterday. This is not interest for you for our readers. No. Uh, so what happened is basically that uh, uh, they they always had like some frictions, but uh, now uh, Renzi basically opened a crisis, mainly on like the excuse in a way, if you want, is the some disagreement on the management of the uh, recovery fund mm-hmm. uh, but even and even more like Italia Viva his party Matteo Renzi's party wanted to use the European stability mechanism to which like the uh, in particular the five star movement opposes uh, the one of the two <coughs> parties in the coalition uh, this is a really controversial question you know because the European stability mechanism is like a mechanism Pre-COVID, like mm-hmm. uh, that, the European Union uh, basically is a, a, an instrument to fight the crisis. Was invented to fight it, the crisis, but using this mechanism is a little bit like saying I can't make it by myself. Mm-hmm. So a country doing that is implicitly sort of admitting to have uh, difficulties, which yeah. creates a certain response in the market. So it's a really controversial mechanism. Really few countries used it before. Uh, Spain yeah. is one of them. Spain is used in the past, yeah. And uh, differently from the recovery fund, there is no shared debt at the European level, but it's just the countries uh, basically taking money uh, as, at an individual level. So it's a really controversial question, which opens even more like, you know, uh, I, I, I think the scenario, the most likely scenario right now is actually that a new government we will make without Renzi. Mm-hmm. Because he's just taken a minority in government out, correct? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He has like a really small... Uh, number of uh, deputies, which though were sort of fundamental for the most of us, yeah. But at the same time, they were sort of blackmailing the government throughout the, all its existence. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, it's probably if they manage to get a new majority is better. In Italy, uh, let's remember for uh, our friends, like there is a, a basically government based by two main parties, the uh, Five Star Movement, which is a sort, is a really weird animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really difficult to explain. Exactly. <laughs> But I would say it's a sort of centrist, populist movement, which sometimes is a bit alarming, but sometimes brings some uh, you know, teams, yeah. proposals that are actually part, really part of the left. For example, they uh, pressured a lot for the uh, for universal basic income, mm-hmm. which is an instrument that we can discuss. But anyways, yeah. uh, proposing social advancement. Uh, so the the new government would be mainly between them and uh, the Democratic Party, which is the 
sort of traditional social democratic uh, party. So hopefully, actually, the result could even be, uh, if they find the numbers, uh, an improvement of the situation problem. Okay. So maybe a blessing in disguise. Exactly. Okay. As crazy as in the Italian crisis might seem, is not the only country. <laughs> no. Um, we're going to pop over to the Netherlands for this next one, which is just a strange news story. So, the entire Netherlands cabinet have stepped down out of government. Okay? Now, this sounds dramatic, and it's kind of dramatic. It's not the first time this has happened in the Netherlands, and once you hear the details of the story, you'll understand it's not as, as crazy as it may sound. So, the, government inc the Dutch government incorrectly accused thousands of families of child welfare fraud. So what happened? Families were given thousands of euros to keep themselves going, to provide money for families who needed it, and due to issues like spellings on forms, missing a signature, a wrong word being filled out in, in this box, or ticking this box instead of this box, very, very small administrative mistakes, all of these families were told to give back the money. Okay? So, it doesn't end there. Last year, the tax office admitted that 11,000 families were scrutinized further purely because they had dual citizenship. So, Anyone who thinks racism and discrimination aren't massive problems in European countries, think again. Here's more evidence of it. So, here's the thing. The government stepped down saying they, they had to step down following the crisis, as if they're trying to take the moral high ground. The first thing they did was accuse families of child welfare fraud. The second thing they did was demand the money back. Now they're trying to save face by stepping down, which is even less than a symbolic move because they're going to stay in as a caretaker government until the elections, and those elections are only in March. Okay? Uh, Rutte, who's the, the Prime Minister, you're going to have to excuse my pronunciation of that, it's definitely not right. He's trying to claim this as a, some bit of a moral victory for them that they did a bad thing, they've owned up to it, and they've stepped down. Do not be fooled. It's a shambolic story, and they don't deserve any any praise for stepping down. It's not even the first time a full cabinet has stepped down in the Netherlands, which the last time it happened was in 2002, following their role in their inability to prevent the mass murder of Muslims in the, during the Bosnian War at the Srebrenica camp. So yeah, it's not an unprecedented move, it's a very strange move, but don't listen to that Mark Rutte trying to claim yeah. any sort of moral high ground for making the decision. Of course, as a reward, we are not, uh, don't have particularly, as you already mentioned, uh, sympathy for uh, the Dutch, the positions of the Dutch government at the moment, of course, because again, during the recovery fund, they were, you know, in a period of crisis, those like thinking about small budget yeah. details rather than thinking about addressing the I situation. Mean, admitting that you scrutinized families yeah. purely because they're not 100% Dutch, yeah. that's enough of him for me. That's all I need to hear about him and his exactly. government. So hopefully we, we hope for a better, uh, more left-wing uh, Netherlands <laughs> in the future, <laughs> after these elections. Uh, but yeah, it's also, let's hope that they find a way, like, you know, we are still in the middle of a pandemic and we need, like, oh, sort of, course. it's the not main, the moment to do The main issue here is that there are over, I think it was 10,000 families who got this money, gave it back, and now, in the interim, in the time since those families have given that money back, there are hundreds of families who gone into financial ruin, you know? Yeah. As we mentioned, they were, they were often targeting now, uh, dual citizens 
So as you can imagine, it's not as easy for um, dual citizens or non-nationals to maintain a level of economic stability, especially if you're on welfare and the government are taking the money back. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. And especially in this period, like, uh, it's not a moment to make any No, kind of it's a moment <laughs> to, to give people the benefit of the doubt if they tick the wrong box on a form that's keeping, uh, that's to get money that keeps their children alive, you know? Definitely. Right, should we cross the ocean yeah. to the US? Uh, Let's go over the everyone's favorite TV show. <laughs> so, Paco, tell us. Yeah. What's happening? Uh, so, well, uh, everyone I think knows. <laughs> it's difficult not to, after uh, all the mess that happened about the uh, Capitol Hill, about the mess that happened at Capitol Hill. Uh, Trump's coup. The Trump's coup. That's all what it was. A failed coup. Yeah, because like you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, because you know, there were these people invading mm -hmm. uh, the Congress, which were really like, you know, sort of goliardic, almost like they could look, uh, uh, I don't know, like characters of a movie or whatever, but it was wild. And, and they had, they were, uh, they had cancer, like, no, because sometimes it seems a little bit that, uh, you know, just because mm -hmm. they had color, uh, this was not dangerous, it was extremely yeah, dangerous. Just because the guy was wearing the horns doesn't mean they're not dangerous, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and also, like, in this country, which expands most of like is uh, uh, I, 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 I think yes yeah. yeah. I think it's probably the first in the world for security uh, <laughs> that uh, a bunch of uh, guys with, like just can uh, assault the Congress mm -hmm. is actually something really alarming and I think well we saw the difference between security measures that day compared to when the Black Lives Matter protests were going on S straight away you've got heavily, heavily armed, three or four different units of uh, military and uh, police, state police and all of this, there to protect the Capitol building from protesters. And yet, when it comes to the day, but they're not protesters, they were rioting that day. They were yeah. climbing up walls, breaking in windows, going into offices and ripping up papers. They were allowed to walk through. Yeah, it's, it's really alarming. And again, the image of the US, I think, is even more compromised already, like five years of Trump undermined, like sort of yeah. its reputation. I think uh, uh, Biden has a really hard job to rebuilding it. Biden, Biden has a tough job, and it's I'm really eager to see what happens this week. First of all, because we've got the inauguration on Wednesday, which okay. they were they had planned. Supposedly, the um, these right wing militia groups who are out supporting Trump and opposing Biden have said they planned armed protests in all fifty state capitals, things like this. We haven't even talked about the trial Trump has to face is um, after being impeached. He has the Senate trial coming up, which now isn't obviously isn't so much about getting him out of power. It's too late for that. But what the Senate trial does do is if he does get convicted, it stops him from running again in 2024. So the focus of that trial now is, from my understanding, that the focus is on ensuring that Trump gets convicted and cannot run for president ever again. Yeah, you know, and we all hope so. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Another, um, just before we move on, another area Biden has promised vehemently to be better than Trump is in relation to migration. Now, the first thing he said was that he's going to take a more humane approach to migration. Thank God, because I can't imagine another president is <laughs> going to come in and lock kids up in cages. So, bare minimum, he won't have kids in cages. That's a good start. <laughs> But it's interesting to see what's going to happen as well, because one of Biden's team have come out in the, in the, over the last few days saying the border isn't going to reopen. And now this is in reaction to what we've seen in Guatemala over the last day or two, where you have 9,000 Hondurans migrants trying to escape Honduras, which has been 
destroyed by COVID, had been battered by two very serious hurricanes uh, just before Christmas, and wasn't a particularly pleasant socioeconomic setting for people trying to improve their standard of living. Even so you have 9,000 migrants have journeyed up to Guatemala. They were met with Guatemalan police forces who hit them, uh, sprayed them with tear gas, and essentially have said, you're not going through. Mexico have said, they're not gonna get through there either. But what do you do? What do you, t what do you tell people who their homes are destroyed? There is no health service during a pandemic. They can't get jobs. There's no future for their kids. What would you do? You know, do yeah. you sit down? Do you lay down and take it at home? Do you go and move and try and get a better life yourself somewhere? Yeah, of course. I know what I do. Yeah, they need to take care of this. In this, like, this is a, a uh, opens a bigger question uh, of like, what is actually these governments going to do? So the uh, democratic, the reason we actually for Trump's uh, riot finally managed to uh, get control also. Uh, both of the Congress and of the Senate. Uh, so they will have a majority. Yeah, they're split in the Senate now 50-50, but that means Kamala Harris will have the deciding vote as Vice President if it is 50-50. This is a huge opportunity because if, to control the House and the Senate and the White House, that's how you get policies through in America. Exactly. But of course, then, uh, this opens the question of what Biden is going to do. Again, Biden is not the most progressive candidate. He's a really centrist. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, sorry, sorry, joke. <laughs> sorry, boomers. <laughs> exactly. No, like, the jokes apart, like, um, there is a lot of concern, I think, for the. Uh, we want to see a different approach, uh, like a strong yeah. uh, divide between what was Trump and what is Biden, at least from a European standpoint. And there was in these days a good article by Robert Wright the former U.S. Secretary of Labor, um, now he's Professor uh, of Public Policy at the University of California, and he wrote to The Guardian uh, saying that the moment basically calls for uh, public investment and uh, not like centrist policies, mm -hmm. but really strong stimulus and a really major uh, depart from uh, what has been before. Like, so yeah. this opens, I think, a really good uh, chance for uh, the progressive and with the progressive I think for the most progressive component of the Democratic Party of course we uh, all think about uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and, uh, uh, and, and Bernie Sanders of course we all still feel the burn <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's hope that they are able in feel like migration as you were saying mm -hmm. but even more in welfare yeah. uh, to like impose a, a a really progressive uh, agenda for the next five years mm. because I tell you like I think this is the key to like without a progressive agenda the risk is that actually in five years Trump or a new Trump yeah, which, like Ivanka or Ivanka yeah, to be divorced, you know, in a way Trump was can, can we do we have children we can say the word but someone else could be actually more you know yeah I yeah I, I, I was about to say I'd love to see it, but I wouldn't love to see it, and I, I hope you're wrong. Exactly. And one thing I think we can more or less guarantee is that we are going to see an improvement from a European point of view, from an international point of view, because Biden has a history of cooperation. Uh, Trump did pretty much everything he could to destroy some of the most important diplomatic relationships that America had built up over the last few years. I mean, we can talk about Iran, we can talk about China, not to mention his appeasement of Putin and whatever he wanted to do. 
Yeah. So I think from a, an external point of view, definitely I can't see it getting any worse. It can only go up. On a home front point of view in America, I guess we'll see this week. Wednesday, the inauguration day is going to tell a lot about where America is because it's highly polarized at the moment. We saw that mess spill over the Capitol and no one really knows is, it gonna ha is something going to happen on Wednesday. I saw today that the FBI are vetting the soldiers because they're worried about there being an inside job and everything. So there's no trust in that country at the moment and they really need a bit of stability. Hopefully Biden can, can bring that. You know, this almost makes me uh, feel like I want to, I would like to hear an expert talking about these topics and uh, being... About the US. About the US. What a coincidence you should bring that up, Paco. <coughs> this Thursday, or this Friday, Friday, we'll be having another podcast focused on the US, looking at all things Trump, Biden, new administration, old administration, what it means, what we can expect to see, maybe some surprises in store, and we should have a couple of very special guests that we're going to keep secret for the moment. Exactly. But so, uh, stay in touch, uh, mm -hmm. follow us on uh, our YouTube channel, I want the effect, but never doesn't, like, you know, YouTube channel, no our pops. Facebook page, no pop-ups. <laughs> no pop-ups. <laughs> No, uh, but and sign to our sign up for our mailing list and uh, well, that's all I think for today. Mm -hmm. And we will see you next Monday. Bye guys. Ciao. Okay.